Are you ready to get a good tease on breaking all the rules? My guest today loves to learn and look at the so-called rules of quilting because they're there for a reason, and then he loves to break them. Today, you'll hear the story of a quilter who uses the negative as a positive and how being on the autism spectrum really allows him to do that well. Welcome to the Quilter on Fire podcast. Hello and welcome to the Quilter on Fire podcast, where I explore quilting stories that will inspire, motivate, and bring you more joy and less overwhelm in your studio. I'm your host, Brandy Mislowski, also known as the Quilter on Fire, and I can't wait to share this week's episode with you. So here we go. Brandon Wolf is an autistic commercial quilter who works with interior designers and decorators to create unique pieces for gorgeously designed homes. Growing up in London, Ontario, to a family of textile artists, Brandon studied art with a focus on 3D design and fiber. He had a full career in hair, including as an educator. Being autistic allows Brandon to know the rules of quilting but break them in the most artistic way. This allowed him to create a quilt style called biscotti, where he makes a full quilt top only to cut it up and reassemble it. Brandon is fascinated with functional art, especially how quilting can be incorporated into other useful objects such as furniture. He runs a successful business in Toronto, Canada. Brandon, welcome to the show. Welcome and thank you. I'm so glad you're here. Now, this is such an important topic. I really want to touch on it throughout this interview. But first, yes. I love to take a little look back. So when did you mm -hmm. start your creative journey? So I started at a very young age. I have a family of fiber artists, right from my grandma's down to my niece. My grandma could knit a cable knit sweater in 24 hours. Wow. Uh, my mom had a loom and a spinning wheel in our living room. My sister has a quilt shop in London, Ontario, a stash fabric in Notions. And my niece just started a business binding quilts for people who don't like to bind their own quilts. Oh, so you're surrounded by creativity your whole life. I just I'm love very that. lucky. Yes. And so where are you living now? And who are the loved ones that you surround yourself with every day? So I live in downtown Toronto in a, a community called Cabbage Town. It's the largest collective of Victorian housing in North America. I live here with my husband, who's very supportive of my craft, with my four cats, who I'm sure you'll pop in and out of this interview as, as this <laughs> interview goes on. I hope so. Um, we'll say hello <laughs> if they come on into the screen. Yes. And I also have the support of good friends like Tommy Smythe, who I do a lot of work with. Oh, great. Okay. And what's your husband's name? John Wolf. Oh, John Wolf. Okay. So now did you head straight into creative entrepreneurship early on while you were doing your hair career, or did you make a transition from one to the other? I made a transition. So I actually, I did hair for about 15 years. It was a job. It was what I thought I had to do to survive. Yeah. Often being told that, you know, you can't make a living being an artist. Yeah. And then I, I found that really difficult as an autistic person because there's a lot of communication skills that are needed in, in hair. And although I did really well in the hair industry, I found at the end of the day, I was just wiped out and the weekends were spent recovering. So I transitioned out of hair into becoming a life coach. And I, I became a life coach. And that led me to doing a study at the AIDS Committee of Toronto on the intersection of autism and HIV. 
uh, we were wanting to know what the HIV prevention needs of autistic people were, and we learned an incredible amount. But again, that was a really social job. <laughs> and then I discovered that I was autistic uh, at the age of 46 and had it confirmed. And then it all kind of made sense that I really needed to be in a job where I could work by myself in my own pace, my own speed, my own time. And I'm probably more productive of it because of that. I, I have the ability to work at my own speed. Yeah. So you've been an autism advocate for years. So yes. why quilting? Like, how do you learn through your special interest? How does it help you? So I'm a self-taught quilter. Uh, I learned the very basics in school in, in textile classes. So it's just having that curiosity to learn on a specific subject. So for me, it's, it was about being so focused on quilting. I learned everything I could just by YouTube, the internet, the groups on Facebook, just talking to people at the local guilds. But it helps me really focus on what it is that I'm, I'm wanting to learn. And I'm very autodidactic. Yeah. And as an advocate, I think it's really important to get the word out about what autism is, right? So what does it mm -hmm. mean to be neurodiverse? Yeah. So neurodiverse is a blanket term that we use for a bunch of differences like ADHD and bipolar, uh, some mental health issues, all the neurological differences. So what it means is that we are different brains than the average person. And so that we think differently. For autism, autism is a nonverbal social communication difference with narrow focus and or repetitive stereotype behaviors. Yeah. <laughs> so what it means is that I like to rock back and forth. I like to tap my toes. I have a very narrow focus on the things that I like to think about. And if, if things take me out of that subject, it's really difficult for me to make that transition. Transition. So if I'm focused on sewing at the time, it's really difficult for me to go and cook dinner. It's really difficult for me to move from dinner to doing the dishes and then moving from dishes to getting back into sewing. You know, getting back into sewing is always easy, but yeah. <laughs> I'm constantly thinking about it. It's always on my mind. And then the social communication piece is really about I don't speak nonverbal communication. I don't speak taboos. So I don't have a lot of taboos. Yeah. I understand what they are, but they don't necessarily uh, I don't necessarily understand why we have them. Metaphors are often challenging for me. And again, it's not that I don't get metaphors. It's that I will get the most obvious one or think about the most obvious one. And then, so, so a lot of the subtleties in, in our language, in our communication, uh, they go straight over my head. For example, someone could be, I don't know, cruising me on the street and I'd have to rely on my friends to say, hey, that person was just hitting on you. <laughs> and yeah. I would oh, be like, what do you, what do you mean? What are you talking about? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so you're able to focus down on getting your business going and doing it well and being passionate about it. And almost there might be some obsession under there, right? Because of yeah. your autism. So I think a, that's just a, a little bit of obsession. Yeah. It's a little bit of, like, <laughs> well, like think, an obsession. Yes. Yeah. I think um, the average quilter might say they have an obsession, but yeah. um, you have, you probably really have a knack for focus, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So when did you first, I mean, let's talk about that for a minute. The business of quilting can be frowned upon a little bit because yeah. some people think that if it's your passion, you should give it away for free. So if you look at it that way, the business of quilting can sort of be seen as taboo, like you mentioned. Yeah. And when you add in autism into the mix, it becomes even more complicated. So 
When did you first kind of feel like you could do this for a living? When I was talking to my friend, Tommy Smythe, who's an interior decorator, he's on TV and he saw some of my work and asked me to do a project for his sister. And once I, once I completed that, then I really realized that I could probably take quilting to a place that nobody else had taken quilting for a long time. So some of the stuff I'm doing, like with the furniture, it hasn't really been done since the 60s. So it's, it's long past due that we start doing quilted furniture again, and that's yeah. starting to come. So again, my, my autism helps me pick up on those old patterns that, okay, well, why did we drop that off? And yeah. can I bring that back in? And so autism is unique that way. Yeah. yeah. And so your clients are often like interior designers and decorators, yes. right? Yes. Yes. And you, do you do, so what kind of came first? Well, my, my friendship with Tommy came first. So he is my husband's best friend. And I did Tommy's hair when I was doing hair and Tommy introduced my husband and I together. And so Tommy comes over all the time and he saw me and my work. And one day he asked if I could do a headboard for his sister's place. And so I did the quilt called The Shimmering, which was my first biscotti quilt where I actually cut up on purpose a quilt and reassembled it. And it was a beautiful project. So what came first? I always had interior designers in my life. So as a hairdresser, I was naturally attracted to them for some reason. So I would have to say the interior designers came first and then the projects kind of came after that. Yeah. And so when you were making that first quilt for the headboard, you were creating it and what inspired you to just say, okay, I'm just, I'm done the topper, but I'm going to cut this to pieces and put it back together again. What made you decide to do that? So I had done a couple of quilts before that, where just things weren't working out and I was kind of learning the improv style. And I thought, well, one way of making improv pieces would be to cut up a quilt that I didn't really like. So I had done one called This Old House. It was a house. I really didn't like it. And so I cut it up and and repositioned it and it became kind of this monkey shape. It was really fun and funky. And so it kind of just kept going. It's like the next project was a little bit of cutting up and playing with it. And then I was doing a lot in the backgrounds of quilts. I was just making backgrounds and then doing applique on top of that. that we're using this process of creating a quilt, cutting it up, and then reassembling and seeing what that would do. I do sew and turn applique. At that time, I was doing a lot of sew and turn. I wanted really crisp lines and clean edges. And so that was a lot of that. And again, that was a lot of experimental stuff. So a lot of my art quilts are very experimental. And and that's where the cutting up kind of comes in. It's like, well, it's only fabric. I can just cut it up and try this and it's just playing so the biscotti was specifically Tommy had said I really like that style where you you cut it up and and we really wanted that big piece for above the bed that felt like we were emerging to the surface of a pool or that kind of lighter in the middle or going down a tunnel yeah Um, it's so gorgeous and I can see it right behind you right (laughs) yes there's one behind me yes yeah that is so beautiful so you have had magazine features both interior design and quilting and you've been exploring the craft community as well so what was it like to open the pages of a magazine and see your work featured for the first time well the first one was the house and home quilt it was a improv black and white quilt that was just blocks that were 12 inch by 12 inch blocks that I had improv three stripes one black or two black and two whites 
yeah. at different angles. And then Tommy said, I have to have that. So he bought that and he said, I'd like to use it in one of the magazine shoots. And I was so excited. I wasn't allowed to tell anybody, which yeah. is really hard when you're oh. doing design work. You're not allowed to tell anybody. And so it was supposed to come out a year later and then the pandemic happened. And so lots of delays. <laughs> and meanwhile, I'm sitting here waiting for this to come out. Yeah. But when it did come out, it was really exciting for me. I was like, I can't believe I'm in House and Home magazine and something I had read my whole life. And for the quilting magazines, I I almost immediately got a cover for Canadian Quilter magazine. It was my dystopian tree. It was an orange background with a white tree and lots of negative space quilting that oh. implied a sun rising. And yeah. it was beautiful. And that was really exciting too, just to say, oh my God, I got a cover and I'm just started doing this and yeah well let's and, talk more about that quilt while we're on the topic like why did yeah. you call it dystopian tree because it's a very minimalist quilt it's literally the trunk of a tree like a birch tree there's no leaf it's just the trunk and the orange negative space and because it was at the, really at the beginning of the pandemic and so I started feeling like we were going into that dark place there was also Trump was was adding to that feeling of <laughs> despair yeah. and isolation. And, and so a lot of my art quilts really do have that, well, what's going on right here, right now. So I attach those feelings to the pieces that I'm working on at that moment. And yeah. so the dystopian was we kind of, we're living in a bit of a dystopian time at the time. So yeah, it's certainly not a utopia. That's for sure. <laughs> no, it wasn't. Yeah. Okay, great. So, so then how did it lead to entering a show at the CQA? So when I was asked to do the headboard, that was for Tommy's sister who owns Smythe, which is a women's clothing line. Okay. So her business partner, Andrea, they're very competitive. And when she found out that she was having a headboard made by me, she scooped in before I got a chance to start making the headboard to have a quilt called the Tiny Hello Commissioned. Oh. Um, so I did this quilt. It's another biscotti. And I entered it into that year's quilt show and it was accepted. It was a virtual show that year. So I totally get the feedback, which is a little bit about the binding. And, and other than that, there was not much feedback. But the shame of that piece is that it was a lot of gold fabric. So you couldn't see the shimmer oh. as you walked by from the photograph, right? So yeah, um, I might re-enter re into another show, but uh, yeah, it was fun. Sure. It was a fun, ex fun experience entering into Quilt Canada. Yeah, that's so great. And I could imagine it would be very hard to judge a quilt show by just seeing photos, because usually that's yeah. just the jurying process, right? And then the judges yeah. actually get to touch and feel and see the, the actual technical work. But that's so great. I'm so glad you got it in the show. Now, I have a note in here that you explored the craft community as well. So let's talk about yes. that a little bit. So I'm a member of Craft Ontario. Okay. And Craft Ontario is kind of like the Canadian Quilters Association, but for craft. Yeah. I haven't explored a lot into that. They have a, a, a provincial show, like the quilt show. They have monthly shows. They have classes. I haven't had a lot of time to explore what they offer or been to one of the shows yet. But I, I do see myself and accept the fact that quilting is in the craft arena, that yeah. I'm maybe more of an artisan than I would say crafter, but I accept the label. I think it's there's nothing wrong with it. And I think that there's a lot of movement in society to destigmatize the word craft. Yeah. Um, that that, you know, quilts have been used in in the Oscars, or I believe that was the Oscars, there have been quilts that are being used in fashion. I'm doing interior design. So 
I think it's starting to shift and I hear other people who are doing different craft works are also starting to hear feel that shift as well that craft is no longer a bad thing it's actually yeah. becoming a good thing yeah yeah absolutely and I, I kind of feel like my whole career as a fiber artist I've kind of had this notion of you know I wish everyone would consider fiber art as a fine art but I'm kind mm. of done with that conversation now I kind of feel like yeah it just is a fine art and I don't have to try to convince people exactly. anymore I mean if Kay Fawcett can have a massive show in London with his his knitting and his embroidery and his quilting that is actually opened by the ballet, then I think we've made it in the quilting and crafting industry. Yeah. These are fine arts. So, so let's talk a little bit about how you define yourself as a creator. So would you consider yourself vintage scrappy or modern or contemporary or what would you say? Uh, I would say I'm more contemporary. Sometimes my quilts can be a little on the modern side. Yeah. To me, modern is about more pattern and, and I don't really always like to work with pattern um, sometimes I do like in, and if I do work with pattern like lately I've been doing a, a series of quilts on half square triangles but I just put a little piping in the middle and it just changes it just ever so slightly but makes yeah. it more contemporary than modern yeah so I think I'm contemporary using quilting in you know a headboard or using it on a chair I think is very contemporary especially if you put the right quilting in the right environment yeah. And it kind of sounds like you're head over heels for the improv type of work, but so yeah. you don't have a whole line of patterns or everything that you've put out. You sort of do technique processes when you teach and speak, right? Yes. Okay. So can you give us a glimpse into your creative process? Like, do you sketch everything on paper? Do you do everything digitally or do you just grab the fabric and go? I grab the fabric and go. <laughs> and do you have a design wall or anything like that? I do have a design wall. So the, I have just a wall. Yeah. And what I do is I actually put my back fabric on the wall with the wrong side facing out. And then I put my batting on top of that. And then I use that as my design wall while I'm building the quilt top. And then I sandwich it right on the wall because quite often I still thread based. Yeah, I, it's my favorite way. I like the texture gluing. I'll, I'll glue if I have to, but I'm not yeah. a huge fan of the lack of texture in it takes some of the personality of the quilt yeah. away. But I, yeah, I, I based right on the wall, my design wall. So do you do that by hand right on the wall? By hand or right on the wall. Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. Some people will based on their machine with gigantic stitching on the machine and then they can pull it out later. But yeah, I could see on the wall, you'd obviously have to do it by hand. Yeah. Or, or I'll, I'll glue too on the wall as well. Yeah. And so when you say glue, do you mean like you use a spray based or what do you? Yes. A spray yeah. based. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So tell us about your two Instagram accounts. Yes. So the, just another autistic guy is my everyday account. It's, it's me. I do promote my business there because it has the most amount of followers, but it's really a design tool for me. So you'll see a lot of me building a project, which people, some people really like, they like yeah. you know, watching me as I create the steps that I take, but I post a lot. So those people who don't have a lot of followers get flooded with my posts. So I have another account called be Wolf and Company. Yeah. And that is more finished products. So I'm not, I'm not engaging a lot on that one. I am posting just finished photographs of work that I, I posted if I remember to post there. <laughs> okay. So we can find you at Be Wolf and Company and Wolf is W-U-L-F-F, -F, right? Yes. yes. And when we say and company, it's just A-N-D-C-O. Yeah. Okay. 
and just another autistic guy. That's easy to find. And then also your website is bwolfandco.com, right? So I'm just going to spell that out. B-W-U-L-F-F-A-N-D-C-O.com. And your website's gorgeous. I love the B at the top. And yeah, gorgeous photos on there. You can really see that you're, you know, it's featuring your handmade contemporary quilts, right? Yeah. Beautiful. Okay. So we've got, everybody can go there. Now, can you tell us the story behind, you know, quilting with autism? Like what's the symbolism for you? So a lot of my work, one of my thought processes when I'm quilting is, especially in my early works, is the way that people use blankets and quilts and so every community has a different use the gay community it's very often used as a place to have sexual encounters with the african community it can be a place of prestige and it can be a place of warmth with the indigenous community they give them out as as pieces of privilege or pieces of welcoming the women's crafting community has a different perspective of how quilts are they're meant to be taking care of their family and supporting their family with autism we use quilts and blankets to hide hide and protect ourselves from the outside world so a lot of my my quilts especially my art quilts will be about what's on the outside of the quilt and why is it there yeah. And so I've done a couple of quilts. I did one, the R word, and I won't say what that R word is. And then the other word is, the other quilt I did was slow. So it's the French word of slow. Yep. It's not a very nice word. Yeah. And so those were on the outside. On the inside, on the back, was nicely pieced, beautifully colored, so that when I was hiding from people saying these words to me, these derogatory words, I enjoyed the space. And it was a, a a thin barrier of protection between me and the outside world. Yeah. And so a lot of my quilts really have that kind of thought process in mind. What, what is on the backside for me to, to recoup from and what is on the outside of saying to the world. So I did one called the circus quilt or, or under the big top sky is the name of the quilt. And it's a very circus oriented quilt. It's, it's just gray on the outside so that when people see me under it, it's just ambiguous this just a quilt solid gray but on the inside is me having you know a circus day and it's a lot of fun and so I imagine you know a young kid having a bad day and fantasizing that they were hiding in in the circus tent so a lot of my quilts are are thinking about that what is what's going on the inside underneath the quilt and what's happening on the outside of the quilt Oh, it's so fantastic. And it's so great to have this perspective because as a white privileged woman, I see quilts as a comfort, a joy, a gift, and you don't really see the appreciation of them in different ways in other cultures and and with other people. Like you, you don't, you don't see the other's perspective. So it's so nice to hear that. Mm -hmm. So this is, this is a curious question for me. I've been excited about this one. I want to get into your earlier quilts and I want to know yeah. about how did you grow over time? So what, what was the very first quilt? Let's talk a little bit about that one and, and how you actually just kind of exploded with knowledge and growth over time. So my first quilt was back in, I believe, 2016. It's not really my first quilt it was my first finished quilt so I had done some in school I had done one of my my partner at the time but 
when you make the mistake of cutting a thread on the top side of the quilt and you cut a little bit of the fabric yeah. <laughs> and you don't know how to fix it. So you just kind of put it away. That happened to that quilt. But my first one, it was 2016. I had moved, lived, was living with my sister for a little bit who was just starting her quilt store and she had a big stash. And so I raided her stash and started making some blocks and then I moved back to Toronto and I pulled them out because I was bored. I'm not a big TV watcher. My husband is. But so I just sat there and I hand sewed these pieces together until I had a quilt top that was king size. And then I decided, well, I'm going to have to quilt it. So I made a big two by two inch frame, stretched it on that frame and stood and quilted it and watched TV because it was leaning against the wall. Sometimes my cat would lay on it and, and quilt with me. But yeah, it was it was a king size quilt, all hand pieced, hand hand quilted. Wow. With and lots so of quilting. It's not very often that you hear of someone hand piecing an entire quilt. I mean, well, actually, let me just say that English paper piecing is a massive craze right now. But when you were talking yeah. about hand piecing a quilt that is either rectangles or squares or blocks, you don't hear that very often. So what kind no. of shapes were you putting together? So I had done some flying geese and I had done log cabins. And then I did a border that was kind of like a knots kind of system that went all the way around. And then the last ring was piano keys one inch wow. piano keys that were one foot long. So it's mixing shapes and styles and, and colors. To me, it was to be a scrappy kind of quilt. I wanted yeah. lots of variety of fabrics, nothing repeating too often. Yeah. And did you, so when you're doing your quarter inch seam allowance, did you draw that on there with pencil or did you just eyeball it as you were quilting? I eyeballed it. As yeah. you're piecing. Oh, that's great. And so it must've been just a really great meditative process, right? It was totally a great meditative process. I had not realized how, how meditative it really was. So yeah, two years it took me. Wow. That's great. From start to finish. Yeah. And then my second quilt was another pieced quilt. It was a pattern I had seen on a cover of a magazine and just memorized it and reproduced it, but in completely different colors. It was oranges and blues and creams. And it was again, hand piece, hand quilted, queen size. Yeah. So when did you start, when did you start moving on to the machine? The machine after that one, <laughs> I realized. You realized I could do this a little bit quicker. <laughs> I could do it a little quicker. And I had a, all I had was a hundred dollars singer esteem sewing machine. And I started quilting on that. And I did a lot of work on that little workhorse, <laughs> a lot oh, of work. Yeah. And did you start doing some quilting on that machine as well? Yeah, that, that was a lot of work on that one. So I did a lot, a whole series of everyday objects on that machine. So I did a toilet paper. I did Chinese food takeout. I did cigarettes. I did, what else did I do? A lot of butter, sticks, sticks of butter. So for those pieces, I was really wanting to play with my piecing. And so they were all pieced. They were not applique. Mm -hmm. um, and I wanted to see if I could do drawing style in quilting. So mixing my art background with quilting. So I pieced a roll of toilet paper, which was wow. a challenge. Now, did you do um, that over the pandemic? Over the, the beginning of the pandemic. Yeah. yeah. The very beginning of the pandemic. Yeah. Toilet paper was a bit of a craze. So we're talking about your art quilts now, right? So you did yeah, my art Chinese quilts, yeah. takeout. And so what inspired you? Were you working on trying to build up your quilting techniques or were you excited about the different everyday objects that you could make into art? What was your inspiration? Again, so it was a bit of, it was a challenge on piecing. I really wanted to learn, you know, how to piece these objects that seemed impossible to piece. Yeah. I hadn't learned about paper piecing yet. So 
they were not paper piece. There was a lot of bias tape. So I was literally drawing out what I wanted to create. And then I was cutting out the fabric for that, where the lines were, I would use bias tape okay. as like a pencil line. Yeah. And so I played around with the bias tape for a long time, but I was really also this idea of, I really wanted a hand-drawn look. Mm-hmm. I didn't want it perfect. I want it to look like I had sketched it. And so those, those pieces definitely have that hand sketched look. And so with those art quilts, are you building a show or what are you doing? I wanted those? to. <laughs> <laughs> you still can, right? <laughs> I still can. Yeah. I've sold a lot of those. Uh, okay. A lot of those, those went really fast. I would like to do a show. And traditionally, you know, as a, as an artist, that's how I thought about things is you did quilts and yeah. you had a show and I'm realizing that that may not necessarily be uh, the way for me um, yeah. to have a show. I might have a show if I ever get enough quilts to have a show, but I'm, I'm finding f- I'm doing a lot more commissions now. Yeah. And that's so great. I mean, as a business person, if you have something that's going like hotcakes, you know, you're on the right track. And then if you can sell them, why not? Like you can always make another one. Right. And I just sold my very first quilt and I had a comment from, I think it was on Facebook. And the comment was, how on earth did you ever let go of that? And the real truth for me is that I created it. I designed it. I collaborated with someone to quilt it. And it was such an amazing experience and joy to have a collector. It's in her hands now and it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's out in the world. It's so yeah. joyful for me. So that kind of overtakes the fact that I would have, what, what would I have done with it if I would have kept it forever? You know, like I'll keep exactly. some quilts around my home, but you don't need a hundred quilts. You need to sell a hundred quilts. <laughs> so. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So can you tell us a little bit about what kind of studio space do you work in at home? I have a small bedroom that I could barely put a queen size bed in. Oh, no. (laughs) That's my studio. I have a work table. I have a sewing machine on that work table. I have a closet where I have another machine in the closet and I work out of the closet. Uh, And then I have my storage behind me and that's it it's teeny 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 tiny I would love to expand I hope that there's a possibility for that in the near future I've been looking for spaces and I'd like to see you know maybe a couple of the local quilters come together and maybe rent a space out um, and have more of a collective so I'm working towards that see if that's a possibility oh that would be so great it just sounds like such an inspirational space and I can just imagine the humming of the machines and the creativity happening Great. Okay. So I want to talk a little bit about my favorite question that I ask every single guest on my show. But before I say the question, I want to ask you, do you experience joy differently because of autism? What brings you the most joy? Being able to participate in my narrow focus is what brings me the most joy. So, you know, being asked to go and do the dishes doesn't bring me joy. Uh, <laughs> I don't think it brings anybody joy. <laughs> but the things that people would normally find joyful, like going out for dinner with friends, I would rather be at home. So, so if I'm participating in my special interest or my narrow interest, yeah, that's what brings me the most joy. And being able to do that for long periods of time also brings me lots of joy. Yeah. Oh, that's so wonderful. Okay. So right now we're going to take a quick break. And then when we come back, we're going to talk about a few of Brandon's projects, including the biscotti quilts in more detail, which turned into a wonderful lecture. So we'll be right back. Northcott Fabrics are famous to quilters for their Stonehenge and O Canada collections. Right here on this podcast, we give away fabric from Northcott Collections, Banyan Batiks, and Figo Fabrics. Look for all of these at your local quilt shop. Northcott, cottons that feel like silk. 
And today's giveaway includes Northcott Fabrics and a Silly Moon Quilting Company dude. If you don't know what that is, have a listen to podcast episode number 41 with Kelly Kazmarek of Silly Moon Quilting Company, and you'll find out all about it. And we are back with Brandon. So I want to talk about quilt design, but before we get into that, you mentioned to me earlier a new hanging system that you ordered called the Stas Picture Hanging System, and it's spelled yes. S-T-A-S. It's yes. a professional gallery system. So tell us about that. So it's yeah. literally a very thin rail that has hooks that have wires coming down. So it hangs like a, a quilt oh. should properly hang. And it also has proper lighting, like gallery lighting. Oh. And I love how... Uh, how clean and crisp the lighting is that comes off. I also have one on my design wall as well. So it just gives this beautiful LED light that is not too warm. It's not too cool. I don't have to guess what the colors are. My old lighting, I was constantly guessing, is that brown or is that black or is that purple? Yeah. <laughs> so this one, I don't have to guess at all. I know exactly what color it is. Well, that sounds really great. So I'm just going to spell it again, S-T-A-S, and everyone can Google it, of course. Okay, so in the podcast, everyone can't see what's behind you, but I want to talk about Ring Around the Moon. So can you describe it to us? And it's one of the biscotti quilts, right? Yes. So the Ring Around the Moon started off with me going into my local quilt store and saying, I want from there to there, all 50 of those fabrics. Wow. Uh, <laughs> so it's 50 Kona solids. Wow. All in neutrals. And I made a giant log cabin, cut it up into three and a half by three and a half inch squares, and then rearranged it wow. to create this. Once it was pieced, then I used the Silly Moon Ruler Edgy 10. It was just the straight ruler to Greek key each three by three inch block. Um, oh. So it was spiraling in, but on a square rather than mm -hmm. a circle. Yeah. And then along each of the seams, I put cross-stitched in 12-weight thread all the way from top to bottom, side to side on all of the seams, about four cross-stitches per side. Wow. Um, yeah, it was a lot of work. It's gorgeous. And, you know, it really does, it has this vibrant, it's golden hues of buttery yellow and gold into these gorgeous bluey grays. And it just looks fantastic. So tell me, so did you mention earlier that it's about meltdown and then enlightenment? So that was how I got started with the, the biscotti, one of the biscottis I had done. I had, I had created this quilt called the Immaculate Heart, which is an applique piece of, of a symbol for Mary that I was commissioned to do. Okay. Mary being the mother of Jesus. Yeah. So it was a Catholic church quilt. And so the background was one of the quilts that got me started with the biscotti. I had started doing like a log cabin, but in the shape of a cross. And when you do log cabins in these awkward shapes, they tend to warp. Oh, and so yeah. I was fighting, I was fighting the warping. When you get them really big, they start to warp. Yeah. I was fighting the warping and I didn't know how to do it. So I had a meltdown. And, and if you know anything about autism, we have these things called meltdowns where we can't quite comprehend. There's no real problem. It's just you're overloaded and you're overwhelmed. And it's really intense and things aren't going the way they're supposed to. But usually at the end of them, there's a bit of an epiphany or a, an enlightenment of what you should be doing to solve the particular problem that you're having a meltdown about. And so in this case, what I had decided to do was just to cut it up, make it into blocks. And I thought that that would help the lay flat and it, it worked out. So, oh, that's great. 
Well, that's so wonderful that you've taken something that you struggled with and you had the meltdown, but you were able to come back and just solve your problem and figure it out. Mm-hmm. And, and it actually kind of blossomed into something really special with these biscotti quilts, right? Yeah. So you had the interior designer ask you to do immaculate heart and you did yeah. the headboard quilt for Tommy. Tell us about the table runner. The table runner was for Andrea, the one who did the tiny hello that went into the quilt show. So she was having her 50th birthday and she was commissioned by Christy for her 50th birthday. And we did 50 fabrics again. It is a 10 foot by 18 inch quilt runner, biscotti style. And then I basket, we quilted with a ruler each block. Yeah. So alternating directions. And then over top of that, we did, I did saddle stitching one eighth of an inch away from each seam so that it had about an eighth of an inch distance between each side of the seam we did with saddle stitching. So it was, for me, it was about layers and layers of, of interest, layers from the biscotti, from the original ruler quilting, and then adding the extra layer of saddle stitching on top of that. Yeah. And I'm looking at it on your website, I think. Is it the one that's on that beautiful long table? Now, it's hard to tell from the photo. Did you face that or was it? I did face. No, uh, you did face it. Yes. Yeah. It kind of looks faced and it's just gorgeous. It is really long and what a beautiful design piece. It looks so great in that entire. Whose place is that? It's Andrea's place. It's gorgeous. It's just incredible. Okay. It was originally Uh, designed, actually, it was originally designed for her cottage. Yeah. And it didn't make it up to the cottage. She put it on the table in her city home. So that means I still have another one to make for the cottage. Oh, um, nice. <laughs> hopefully. <laughs> yeah, that's so great. It just looks like you want to go there and have a retreat. It's beautiful. Yeah. Okay, so let's talk about the things we'll find on your website. So blog can be things that are just on my mind at the time. Think projects that I've done. If I'm at a retreat, I'll blog about the retreat. I'm trying to get into blogging a little bit more. I know it increases my traffic on my site, which is great. I'll probably do one a blog post about this podcast. And then in my galleries, a, a little bit more of the older stuff that I've been working on. I haven't updated that. I have a few quilts that need to go onto the gallery. And then you'll also find classes. I've wound them down for this year, although I I probably will start them again in September due to popular demand. Um, but I'm, I'm, I teach the biscotti one hour lecture. It's a very quick, fast paced. This is how you do the biscotti. Not a lot of instruction other than, you know, how you do it, yeah. but not a lot of personal instruction. So in the fall, I'm looking to do a little bit of a longer course. So it would be probably a two day course. One, you would make the first top and the second day you would, you would do the chop and the assemble. Yeah. So on the shimmering quilt, the bed, the headboard quilt, I did a style of quilting called radial quilting, which can be a challenge to do for a lot of quilters because what happens if you quilt too narrowly in the middle, it has a tendency of puckering out. Yeah. It's not pretty to look at. So I figured out a way to avoid that. And a lot of people are asking about that. So I'll probably be offering the radial quilting in a class in the fall as well. Great. Yeah, that sounds really good. And sometimes people try to solve that by using a walking foot, but we'll leave that a secret because if they take your class, then (laughs) I did, I used the walking foot actually, but if you still, if you get too dense in the middle radially, it does pop out. Absolutely. And you also have some quilts for sale on the website too, right? I do have some of my older quilts for sale. Yes. Okay, great. 
So my next question is, how do you carve out creative time for yourself along with running a household, especially with all the cats mm-hmm. and everything? I try and do a little bit of sewing in the morning early when things are going smooth, but I do a lot of quilting at night, late at night. I'm a late night person. So from eight o'clock till about two o'clock in the morning, I'm sewing. Okay. Furiously. Yeah, I know. I love that too. I'm actually a morning person and a night person. So that's a problem. I don't get enough sleep. (laughs) Okay. Now we're going to get, we're going to get into the lightning round Robin. It's a series of rapid fire questions just for you. And it's super fun. So are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. What is your favorite notion or tool? I think my favorite notion would have to be that purple thing. Oh, I love just so practical (laughs) when you need to get your fingers in there and it's you don't want to get your fingers in there um it's perfect I love that tool as well what is something your quilting community may not know about you that I was a researcher in my previous job as I said earlier I researched the intersection between autism and HIV right okay as a creative person do you have any collections like thimbles or vintage aprons or anything like that Thread. I collect lots of thread. Thread, yeah. <laughs> I'm never, I have all of the Aurafil threads because it's my favorite. But then I have the Valdani because they don't make, you know, Aurafil doesn't make five weights. So I have to have all of the Valdanis. Yeah, you name it. I, I have the thread. Oh, that's great. Do you have any kind of little reward system for getting work done or anything like that? I don't need it. I just, I'm so, have such a narrow focus that yeah. The re- the way I reward myself is to start a new project, ah. but I can't start a new project until I finish the previous product. So projects that I'm just one of these people. I don't like a lot of whips. Yeah. I, I have to have the project started and finished. Sometimes I will put one aside for a week or so, but then that's the boat, the max yeah. that I'll put a, a project aside. Well, that's a really good trait to have. And when you say whips, you mean works in progress, yes, right? right. Yeah. yeah. Quilters are always talking about their stacks and stacks of UFOs or whips. Yes. And that's a good trait to have as a quilter to not have any of those to finish yes. your quilt and move on to the next one. That's a good reward. I should. And think I don't, I also don't keep a lot of fabric in my house. Um, And the reason why is because it's too easy to start a new project with lots of fabric in the house. So you kind of go out. Yes. If I want to do something, I have to go to the quilt store to start a new project, which is also part of my process of making sure I get things done. Yeah. Great. It's almost like you have an element of scarcity. You cannot start something new because you don't have the stuff yet. You got to finish yep. what you're doing and then move on. That's great. I was just like trying to lose a little bit of weight. And my husband likes to have a big drawer of snacks. And I'm like, now tell me, which diet is it that says that you're supposed to have a big drawer full of snacks? <laughs> yeah, no diet. <laughs> so I kind of take that, that, that mentality with my fabric too. It's like, well, why have a lot of fabric teasing me? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay. Let's talk about the furry friends in your studio. You said you have yes. four cats. Who are they? I have four cats. So my most senior cat is Winston or Toonies. We call him Toonies. He's a black and white tuxedo kitty. He's about 13 years old and he doesn't come visit very often. And then the next oldest is Reggie. He's a ginger polydactyl. So he's got 27 claws and he's very rascally. His name is Reggie. (laughs) Um, He, when he wants something, he comes and plops himself down on the quilt that I'm working on. 
thought. And then I have two, well, they're, they're three years old now, but we call them the kittens. They're twins. They're brother and sister. They are ragdoll cats. Aww. So they're show kitties and very much are show kitties, but they're both hams. Uh, they, yeah. Those are the cute little fluffy ones. The cute fluffy ones. Yes. Yeah. They look like the, the toilet oh, that's paper so great. Kitties. So do they, to, I, you said that the second one gets into your, do the little ones get into your quilty stuff as well? Oh yes. The one usually sits there all the time. And then Reggie will sit over there. I always have helpers in my, my room. Oh, that's great. Well, thank you so much for braving the lightning round, Robin. That was fun. Yes. So I've mentioned your website at bwolfandco.com. So that's B-W-U-L-F-F-A-N-D-C-O.com. And we already mentioned the best place for quilters to connect with you on Instagram, just another autistic guy, right? And and B Wolf and Co. Those are the two Instagram handles. Okay, now I'm going to mention again this week's contest giveaway. We're going to give away Northcott fabric, and we'll probably do three fat quarters. And Brandon has worked with Kelly from Silly Moon Quilting to bring a dude for the giveaway. So we're going to give away one of those. And it's just such a great little tool. If you are the winner of this contest, you are going to find that tool so handy. And I can't wait to put mine to work. And we did a little Instagram live earlier today with Brandon because he sent me a gift of a dude as well. And it was so funny that I didn't have one because I've been connected to Kelly for a while. I keep buying her rulers, and but I've never bought a dude. So thank you so much. That was a really sweet surprise. Okay, so now as we wrap up, Brandon, what do you want quilters to take away most from our conversation today? I would like them to have courage. Um, and the reason why is because I think that's a big foundation of my work is being willing to take risks. I'm not willing to say no to, you know, an interior designer says, can you do cross-stitching? I'm like, yes, of course I can. Can you do it on my furniture? Of course I can. It's just fabric, right? And that's that's really how I look at this is that I can play. I get to play with fabric all day. And yeah, it's expensive. And yeah, you might m- make some mistakes and not want to work on that piece ever again, but have the courage to play. That's yeah. Oh, that's, that's such a I great want. parting message. And I, I heard you say in our discovery call earlier, this same, this very same message, it was, if you want to make a living at it, you can don't be afraid. Yes, and I really, I love that. And I liked what we talked about earlier in this podcast as well, about crafting is becoming different. It's starting to get the same reputation as art. So what a yes. great way to end the show. So that was so fun, Brandon. Thank you for being on the show. I loved having you here. Thank you for Thank being you. here. No, thank you for having me. So that was my show with Brandon Wolf. I loved opening up conversations on important topics like disability and quilting and making an income, which is so taboo for some reason. When I create a new product, I have all kinds of doubts swirling around in my head because of the culture in this industry. You know, it's just, we can't continue to undervalue ourselves as creators and give it all away for free. It's just not right. I've learned so much from Brandon today and in the conversations leading up to this episode about honoring a person's space and history and life and about putting yourself out there in a big way, doing your passion to make a living. I encourage you to go out and find creators you love from all walks of life and buy their products and like and share and comment on their stuff online and give them reviews and support their businesses. You can tell I'm passionate about this because I loved this episode with Brandon Wolf. Now, are you loving this podcast? Take a moment right now to think of a friend who might love it too. I'd be so thrilled if you would share this podcast or write a review on your podcast app. The kindest thing you can do to support a creator is to introduce them to your friends. 
Are you ready for some quilt destination travel? I'm guiding a tour of quilters to the Birmingham Festival of Quilts in England in August 2022. I'm so excited to get on the road and have some fun, and I'd love to have you join me. Go to quilteronfire.com slash events or call Judy directly at Opulent Quilt Journeys at 1-877-235-3767 to find out more and book your trip today. Thank you for listening to the Quilter on Fire podcast. Until next time, dream big and have fun in the studio with the Quilter on Fire.